All right. Um, well, I don't know what you guys think of when you see that video, uh, but I reckon for most of your 12s, I reckon that video looks like perfect freedom. I reckon. You get this vibe where you've just finished school, um, you're done forever, um, you've got months and months and months of holidays ahead of you, you're going, you're going away to the Gold Coast with your friends, but you're leaving your parents behind, and that might be for the first time in your life that you've ever gone away on holidays on your own. And it looks like the Gold Coast has just got everything going for it, doesn't it? You know, in the Gold Coast, you can jump into pools in slow motion. In the Gold Coast, there's, um, <clears throat> there's weird, like, morph suit Lipton tea guys dancing around for you. Your DJs are wearing space suit helmets. You can drive crazy pedal cars around the street. And there's super soakers. and The Gold Coast has got everything, right? Um, and if you're a guy, right, you're on the Gold Coast, you don't have to wear a shirt at all. Just walk around with no shirt on on the Gold Coast. If you're a girl, just wear a bikini all day. That's how the Gold Coast rolls. Other than making sure that you don't, like, get arrested or injured terribly somehow, pretty much you can just do whatever you want. I don't know, get drunk, do drugs maybe if that's your thing, hook up with whoever, go to the beach all day. Just do whatever you want with no restrictions. Now, the, the tagline uh, for that ad is, what crazy stuff are you and your mates going to get up to this year at schoolies? So book it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and on the YouTube ad below, it says, schoolies will be one of the best weeks of your life. Don't miss out. Now, for me, to be honest, that actually doesn't look very appealing at all. That's because I'm like 28-year-old guy who's married and old and stuff. But I reckon for the average teenager, they would say that looks very, very fun. And even if you are like me and, and, and that doesn't really look like your sort of thing, you have to admit that for most people, they would say that looks awesome. It looks like perfect freedom. And even if you're a Christian, you know that you're not supposed to say this stuff out loud, but I reckon even for Christians, they would look at that and they'd go, yeah, that does look pretty fun. Freedom. No rules, no restrictions. Just do whatever you want to do. But is that freedom... Is that video, that pursuing that life, is that freedom? And I'm not talking about going on holidays on school. That's not the point. That whole, that whole scene, doing whatever you want, all that kind of stuff, is that freedom? And if it isn't, what does true freedom look like? That's the, that's the big question that we're going to be looking at tonight as we look at that passage in John. I'm going to pray for us that we'd see what true freedom is. Uh, Father God... I pray that tonight, as we open your word, that you would open our eyes. Lord, help us to see the world around us clearly. Help us to see ourselves clearly. And help us to see Jesus clearly. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us tonight through your words in the Bible. Amen. All right. Now, from this passage that uh, Max just read out for us before, um, here is the first Huge thing that every single one of us here needs to see straight up really clearly. And here's what it is. What we think of as freedom is actually slavery. That's the first thing Jesus shows us in the Bible. Check out the words up on the screen. Uh, Verse 31. Actually, sorry, not verse 31. Verse 34 is where that comes from. What we think of as freedom is actually slavery. But to get there, we do need to understand the verses for it. So from verse 31... 
Here's what Jesus has just said to these Jewish guys, right? Here's what he said. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is talking to these guys and he's like, if you follow me, if you're someone who who follows me, knows the truth, you're going to be set free by that. And the guys that Jesus has talked to in this passage, they're going, what are you talking about, Jesus? I don't feel trapped. I don't feel like I need freeing. What the heck are you talking about, Jesus? Check out verse 33. Here's what they say back. Jesus said, yeah, come get set free. And they say, we are Abraham's descendants. We're Jews, is what that means. We're Jews. We're, we're the nation of Israel, and we've never been slaves of anyone. And so how can you say that we shall be set free? Now, these guys that Jesus is talking to here have obviously taken what, what Jesus has said politically, right? So they're hearing Jesus going, you need to be set free, and they're like, but we're not anyone's slaves. We're completely free men. We're, we're living it up. <laughs> Now, the funny thing about that answer, if you guys know anything about history at all, is that these guys have been slaves of pretty much everyone, not just one person, but everyone. Back in the day in the Old Testament, they were slaves of the Egyptians. I I couldn't find very good pictures, right? This is what I got. They were slaves of the Egyptians, these guys, and they didn't even look that fierce, and they took them and made them their slaves. And then after that, they became slaves of the Assyrians, and those guys had bigger beards, and so it's a bit more understandable. And then after that, they became slaves of the Persians, as well. And that, that's that black guy. He's the Persians, basically, right? And then after that, right now, as Jesus speaks to these guys, they're enslaved to the Romans. And so Russell has got, Crowe has got them under the thumb, and, and he's ruling these guys. They've taken them into slavery once again. Um, they rule the Jews. And so if Jesus... You can get rid of the Russell Crowe slide. Um, if Jesus wanted to win this argument... On the political level, he could just go, well, actually, and just tell them about all that kind of stuff, which they seem to have forgotten about. But he doesn't go there. He doesn't point to those things because Jesus is actually talking about something even more serious than their political freedom. You can see what he's talking about there in verse 34. Look on the screen. Here's Jesus' reply. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, the Bible makes it clear, crystal clear, that everyone in the entire world is a sinner. And I reckon deep down we know that that is the case. We do stuff all the time that we shouldn't do, and the stuff that we should do that we fail to do all the time. We stuff up. Everyone has got stuff that they're ashamed of, that they know they've done wrong. Everyone deep down knows that they're a sinner, And the Bible 100% agrees with that experience that deep down we all kind of know anyway. Uh, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of of the glory of God, of God's standards. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. Everyone's a sinner. And so what Jesus is saying to these Jews as he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, is he's saying, you guys, when you sin, because you sin, you're slaves to sin. And what Jesus is saying to us tonight as well is this. Because we sin, we're slaves to sin. Now, what do you guys make of that? What do you do with a statement like that? I reckon most of us would go, well, sure, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I get that. But a slave to sin? Would you sign off on that? It sounds pretty extreme. 
maybe, maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, I do sin, but I'm not a slave to sin. I, I do the wrong thing from time to time. But I actually do that because, well, it's more fun. I choose to do it. It's what I want to do. I go do it. And, and, and that's kind of just the way I have fun. It's when I'm actually the most free is when I'm doing whatever I want to do and sinning. And so if I go and sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, that is freedom for me. Or if I go and drink too much at a party and have a bit of a crazy time, that is freedom, doing whatever you want. If I go and live it up at schoolies on the Gold Coast and go crazy and do whatever, that is freedom. I reckon that's what a lot of us tell ourselves. Maybe one day we'll get old and get boring like me, but for now, live it up while you can, is what we think to ourselves. According to Jesus, what we think of as freedom is actually slavery. Now, I want to I show this to you guys in a few examples um, in our lives because I reckon Jesus can make a statement like that and it's easy just to go, well, you know what, I don't think that's true. But I want, I want, I want us to see how clear this is. I'm going to give us a few examples. One example um, is in this video just now. So check out this video. This is a clip. And when it plays, this is a clip. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is a clip from Black Friday in America. So Black Friday is this crazy bargain shopping day, the day before Thanksgiving, where Americans go and get all these bargains at the shops. And here's what happened at Black Friday this this year in Walmart. much more of that. That's a pretty hectic video, hey? It's crazy. Now, I reckon most people think of the idea of having enough money to be able to afford whatever we want to have afford and perhaps get bargains and buy heaps of stuff. We'd go, that's freedom, man. Imagine being able to afford a new iPhone and a new blah, blah, whatever. And we call that freedom to get all this stuff. Did those people look free? I reckon they looked like slaves to greed. And you might look at that and go, well, I'm a long way from palming some lady in the face in Walmart to get a cheap phone, right? You might think that you're a long way from that, but how far are we from that? How much do we love stuff? What would we do to get a phone 75% off? How much do we love stuff? How much do we love money? The entire Western world, in Australia, right, is consumed with having more and more stuff. We love it so much so that we become slaves to the desire to have more and more and more. See, why is it that when we have enough money to buy lots of stuff and then we do, where are we left after we do that? Do we go, sick, i got heaps of stuff, I'm done forever now. No, we buy lots of stuff 
And then we go, I just want more stuff. The more stuff you buy, the more money you have, the more you just want to buy more things because we become slaves to greed. The more we get, the more we want. Greed is sin. We pursue it, we love it, we run after it, and it makes us slaves, slaves to our own desires. Now, you might be sitting there going, well, really, that isn't me. I don't give a stuff about sales and phones and everything else, and and that's not me at all. Greed isn't me. Now, if it isn't you, I guarantee somewhere it is something, if not greed. For some of us here tonight, um, maybe it's lust. Maybe it's sexual lust. Heaps and heaps and heaps of teenage guys and, and a whole bunch of teenage girls as well are addicted to pornography. Now, I know it's awkward to talk about and you can pretend that you don't know what I'm talking about or whatever if you want to, but the reality is that so many guys and girls are addicted to pornography. And I'm sure there's a bunch of you here tonight in that exact space. Now, as you pursue looking at pornography, how do you process what it is you're doing? What do you think you are doing when you pursue pornography? I reckon a bunch of us, deep down, Think of it as freedom. The ability to, you know, click on or go to um, whatever website we want to, to look at whatever thing we want to, and no one knows we're doing it, and we're just completely free to pursue whatever we want to do on the internet without anyone ever knowing. It's just me and my little private world. I reckon we think of that as freedom. Here's the question, though. Have you ever tried to stop? Have you ever seen what happens when you try to stop? I reckon if you lived in a nice enough prison cell um, that you never really tried to get out of, you could live your whole life without even realising you were in prison. Imagine a really, really good decked out prison cell that you're heaps comfy in and you never tried to get out, never checked the doors, never pulled on the bars. You could live there your whole life without ever knowing that you were actually locked up and trapped in there. What happens when you try to get out? What happens when you start pulling on the bars and seeing if you can escape? What you'll find is that you're trapped, you're addicted to pornography and you can't get out. It's crazy, scary how addictive it is. Pornography um, and that whole scene does the same thing to our brains. It acts on our brains the way that, that like hardcore drugs do. It chemically does things in our brains and forms addictive patterns the same way a crazy drug does. I dare you to see what happens if you try and stop. It's not freedom, it's slavery. Um, now, you guys might be hearing all this and you might be like, well, I'm not palming people in the face in Walmart trying to get bargain phones and I'm not addicted to pornography either, so you're really missing the mark with me. And I reckon that's the danger, that we're going to hear this stuff and go, well, no, no, this isn't me. There might be some people, but I'm not a slave to sin like that. So I've got, I've got one more example for us and I reckon this pretty much hits all of us. Um, but it's about... Our relationships. What about the way we treat the people around us that we love? So we've all got friends and family and people like that who we care about, right? Why is it that even though we love these people, we never always act the way we want towards them? We feel a certain way about them, we say that we love them, but the way we treat them is never quite right. We've got good friends, right? And and we genuinely love these friends, but for some reason, when they're not around, we feel compelled to, like, gossip about them and say crap about them behind their back. 
Why do we do that? Why don't we just not? How does that happen? Why is it that even though deep down we love our parents, for a lot of you I hope that's the case, right? You love your parents, but you say junk to them, you do stuff to them that really hurts them, even though you care about them. Well, according to Jesus, there's something that's fundamentally broken inside of us. There's something going wrong, and this is what it is. Here's Jesus' diagnosis. We're slaves to sin. Sin isn't freedom. It's slavery. It actually makes us slaves on at least two levels. I'll spell that out for you. The first thing is exactly what I've been talking about for the last five minutes. First of all, sin literally ruins our life here and now on earth. That's what I've been talking about, and and that's just the way it is. Can you guys think of a single time in life where you've pursued what the Bible would call sin, you've you've gone after that, and long-term, you were happy because of that? Can you think of a single time? Sin ruins life now. Secondly, it enslaves us by ruining our eternal relationship with God. You can see that in verse 35. Check it out up on the screen. Sin ruins our eternal relationship with God. Verse 35. Now a slave, has a slave to sin that is, has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Now that verse is a tricky one, but it's talking about God's family and belonging in that, belonging in relationship with God. And that verse is saying that because of our status as slaves to sin, we don't have a permanent place in God's family. We have a broken relationship with God because of our sin. We're actually left facing God's anger and his judgment at our sin instead of having a right relationship with him. Sin makes us slaves on two levels. It ruins life now and it ruins our eternal relationship with God. And so here's what all this means. What we think of as freedom, what the world and everyone around us thinks of as freedom, is slavery. Now, guys, if this was all that we had to look at in the Bible tonight, this would literally be the most gloomy talk you'll ever hear anywhere in the world ever. But Jesus doesn't stop here in this passage. uh, And we're not done tonight either, because honestly, this next bit is the best news you will ever hear, ever. It matters more than anything in the world. Here's the second thing that this passage shows us. If we come to Jesus, Jesus offers us true freedom. He freely offers us true freedom. Check it out in, oh, I lost my page. Check it out in verse uh, 36. So, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If Jesus sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And so true freedom is, is, is on offer from Jesus. That's what is just being held out to us to grab hold of. Now remember, how, so how does that happen? How do we get this true freedom from Jesus? We know it's just from Jesus, in Jesus, if he sets you free. Well, remember the slavery worked on two levels. How did it work? It ruins life now and it ruins our eternal relationship with God. Well, Jesus sets us free by dealing with both of those problems. He 100% obliterates that problem, gets rid of it, cleans it up altogether so that it's no longer a problem. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 makes it crystal clear how Jesus gets rid of both of those problems, how he addresses both of those. Um, So look up on the screen at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and here's the first thing we're going to see in this verse. Jesus sets us free from sin now 
by making us new people, new people now. Check out verse 17. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So what that verse is saying is that if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian trusting in Jesus, you've literally been made known into... (laughs) Made known. You've been transformed into a new creation. Completely changed. The old way of life, the old way of addiction to sin and enslavement to that is gone. It's gone. You're a new creation. In verse 15, he actually spells out what that looks like. When someone becomes a Christian and says in verse 15 that they stop living for themselves and start living for Jesus who died for them and rose again. Stop living for yourself, start living for Jesus. That's the transformation that takes place in a Christian. So they're no longer slaves to sin. Something fundamentally changes so that they're different and they have a heart that actually wants to obey God and say no to sin. Now, don't get confused about what I'm saying here. Don't get confused. Don't, don't think that what this is, 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 is that, okay, if I, become, if I want to become a Christian, I need to make myself really good and, and turn myself into a good person and so I'll save myself and I'll be a Christian. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is that if you become a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus who saves you, then Jesus will transform you to make you different. That's what this verse is saying. Now, that's awesome. <laughs> but on its own, just to, to be changed, to have a different heart that wants to obey God, made a new person, on its own, that's actually not enough to fix the problem. That doesn't deal with the full problem because even if we change, even if we're different now, if we become a Christian, that doesn't change the fact that in the past we had a broken relationship with God. doesn't change the fact that God is angry at our sin. But here's the second thing that 2 Corinthians 5 shows us. Jesus gives us freedom by permanently restoring our relationship with God. Check it out in verses 18 and 19. Here's how Jesus does it. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, which is telling people about Jesus. And this is what God was doing, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Now, the word that that passage uses there is reconciling. God was reconciling us to himself by not counting our sins against us. The sins are there, but he chooses not to count them against us. Now, I've got a mate, Jackson Stace, who I go to Bible college with, uh, and this year, um, at, by the end of the year, he worked out he had $540 of fines to pay to the library because of late books that he hadn't returned. 540 bucks. And he saw that and he was like, I can't deal with this. I don't... And he had to go to the library people and he's had to say, look, I, I, I literally can't do that. You need, can you help me? What, what happens now? I can't pay you $540. Uh, and, and the library people apparently are pretty nice. And they said, look, We're not going to count your library sins against you. We're going to let you off and do something about it, reduce it or fix it up, and and they're going to sort it out for him. He couldn't figure it out himself. He couldn't do anything. And so the library chose to not count his library fines against him, right? Now, is that how it works with God? Does God just go, ah, 
we're pretty, I'm, we're pretty good up here in heaven. Don't worry, buddy. I just won't count your sins against you. Run along, scamp. Is that what God does here? Well, no. God can do it, but the way he does it is that he doesn't count our sins against us, but instead he counts our sins against Jesus. That's what verse 21 is all about. I'll actually read it for you. I wasn't going to, but here it is. Verse 21. God made Jesus, him who had no sin, to be sin for us, counting our sin against him so that in Jesus we might become, we might have the righteousness of God. That is huge. Even though we've done all this stuff, even though we're slaves to sin and everything we've ever done against God, If we come to God and put our trust in Him, Jesus' promise is that He will not count your sins against you and instead puts them on Jesus. Jesus offers to set us free from the worst kind of slavery, slavery to sin. And all we need to do is put our trust in Him and follow Him as He makes us a new creation. Now, I want to finish by giving you guys an illustration of, of what sin is really like. Uh, Because I want you guys to get this so clearly. Does anyone know how you catch a monkey in Indonesia? Does anyone know this? Uh, I'll tell you how you catch a monkey in Indonesia. It's pretty awesome. What you do is you get a coconut and you put a little hole in it and you hollow it out, right? So there's like a hollow coconut and you fix that coconut to the ground. You tie it or stick it down somehow and you stick a peanut in the coconut. Now this hole, right, here's the thing. The hole that you put the peanut through in the coconut is big enough so that the monkey can fit its open hand through the hole. But once it grabs hold of the peanut in the hole, its fist is too big to pull out of the hole. And, and, and there's like the Indonesian guys coming along to like grab the monkey and catch it and put it in an Indonesian circus or whatever. Like the monkey's freaking out. They don't want to get caught. They're like, ah, 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 and they're freaking out because the guy's coming to grab them and they don't want to get caught, but they want that peanut so bad that they will never unclench their stupid fist, let the peanut go and pull their hand out and run away. And so they sit there just going, ah, ah, until they're caught with the stupid hand stuck in the coconut. Now, that's a good, I love that, that whole thing, right? I love that that's how monkeys get caught. But that's how sin, guys, that's what sin does to us. We come along, we see it, we love it, and we choose to grab hold of it with our whole hand and go, yes, this is freedom, this is good. And we grab hold of sin as if it's the best thing in the world, but really it's a trap. And even though our eternal life is at stake, we go, man, I love this thing, and we're just holding on to it, and we won't let go because we think it's the best thing in the world. But the crazy thing is the very thing that we love, the very thing that we think is freedom, is actually a trap. It's slavery of the worst kind. And all we need to do is we need to go, man, I'm, I'm willing to let go of this, come to Jesus, trust him, follow him, and be rescued from my sin. But because we love the sin, so often we never let go. I reckon there's two big reasons that people don't become Christians, at least on the Central Coast. I reckon one of them is that people say, I don't believe this stuff. I don't think it's true. Therefore, I'm not going to do anything about it. There's one reason, and you might be in that place tonight, maybe. But I reckon the other big reason is that deep down, we don't want to change. We love sin, we love the way we're currently living, and we don't want to let go. 
Can you see how stupid that is? If that's what's holding you back from becoming a Christian, I want freedom to sin and just live how I want to live. It's not freedom. It's a slavery. Now, guys, if tonight you're at the point where you're seeing this clearly, you know that you're a sinner, you know you've done the wrong thing against God, uh, and you know you need rescuing from that, can I encourage you tonight, then become a Christian. It's not some crazy, weird, magical thing. It's just putting your trust in Jesus and then following him as he makes you into a new creation. Now, if you've got a whole bunch of questions and you're really not ready to make a commitment to following Jesus, that's okay. Ask your questions. Work out what your questions are. Ask it. Chase it down. Do that. But don't put this stuff off forever. And can I say, if the only thing that's stopping you becoming Christianite is that you just don't want to change, you don't want to let go, <laughs> just let go. Just do it. Now, um, I reckon a great way to start a relationship where you're trusting Jesus, where you're a Christian, because here's, here's what a Christian is, just in case this isn't clear, right? A Christian is someone who trusts Jesus to save them and then they follow Jesus as the king of their life. It's that simple. They get saved by Jesus and so they go and follow him. That's what a Christian is. And so, guys, if you want to become a Christian tonight, all you need to do is stop trusting in yourself, start trusting in Jesus. Now, a great way to start a relationship like that is to pray to Jesus and tell him that that's what you're doing. Praying a prayer doesn't make you a Christian, just in case you're confused on that. But it's a great thing to do if you're going from not trusting Jesus to trusting Jesus. So I'm going to pray now. And if you're someone tonight who wants to go, you know what, I'm going to trust Jesus and start following him. Tell Jesus that that's what you're doing and pray this stuff in your own head um, after I pray. Let's pray. Yeah, God, we're sorry for rejecting you and, and becoming slaves to sin. Thank you that Jesus died so that we can be free from sin. Please forgive me and help me to live with Jesus as my King. Amen. All right. Now, guys, if tonight you've gone from someone who wasn't a Christian to someone who's trusting in Jesus and is following him and has become a Christian, man, that is the best thing in the world. It honestly is. Nothing matters more than this. Nothing you will do for the rest of your life is as good and important as this.